0: Good afternoon. My name is Tammy, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to the Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies New York post-midterm election client call. Our call today will be hosted by Stuart Shorenstein, Katie Schwab, Ken Fisher, and Rose Christ of our New York Public Strategies team. This recording will also be available after the call com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching Cozen O'Connor.
1: Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Ken Fisher. It was an exciting night for the country, returns still being counted in the Florida Senate race, the Georgia governor's race, and uh, half a dozen House races in California. But um, as the late speaker, uh, Tip O'Neill, said, all politics is local. And so we're going to focus on the implications of the election for New York, uh, both in terms of the federal races, the state races, and uh, what's going to happen next. So just to kick it off, um, we're going to ask uh, Stuart Shorenstein to talk about the uh, the House races in New York, uh, where there were quite a few changes and a couple of upsets. Stuart? Yes. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, the uh,
2: blue wave uh, certainly crashed onto uh, New York shores and spread literally throughout the state um uh both on the state level and on the federal level uh in terms of um of federal uh Senator Kristen Gillibrand uh had another uh big win uh to add to her column and to add to any uh presidential ambition she may harbor which she said she didn't but which most people think she does and um and her win uh uh with a lot of support from the uh progressive end of the party uh has um has put her in in good shape in terms of uh of uh whatever the future may hold for her uh of of um significant interest of course the the house of representatives uh uh moved back into uh democratic hands uh yesterday and uh the Democrats gained somewhere between thirty and thirty five seats um, a lot of elections are still being recounted or still counted uh but that's where it seems like it will end up and uh three of those seats changed hands in new york uh uh John Faso lost uh his race in the in the nineteenth district uh to um uh candidate Delgado and uh that is a um that race involved an a, incredible amount of money uh and uh at the end of the day Delgado won uh more easily than people expected uh and um right to uh uh the north of that district uh senator uh, uh, congressman Tenney who uh who embraced uh president trump uh lost and uh, and uh his his race uh, uh was um, was not as close as, um, as, as one might have uh, imagined either uh, uh her race uh, so those were two seats that were thought to be toss ups thought to be um, uh possibilities uh the winner there was Arthur Brindisi. Uh, the one that was a surprise was in New York City, where the only Republican representing uh, New York City in Congress, Dan Donovan, lost to uh, Max Rose, an Afghanistan war vet, uh, 31 years old, running for the first time, and uh, he took out a a veteran um, a veteran congressman. Uh, so that was a uh, a surprise. Uh, on Long Island, where um, it was not a good night to be a Republican on Long Island, unless your names were Peter King and uh, Lee Zeldin, and they were able to prevail in Congress on um, in in their races. Uh, what is significant is that uh, the the races for um, uh, the, the change in Congress will elevate several of the Key uh, players and, that are Democratic congressmen from New York. Uh, Nita Lowy will now become the chair of the House Appropriations Committee. of Velasquez will become the chair of the Small Business Committee. Elliot Engel will become the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee. And Jerry Nadler uh, will become the chair of the Judiciary Committee. And the Judiciary Committee is a committee that will be conducting a lot of investigations. And uh, should the Mueller report uh, ever be issued, since the Attorney General was fired today, uh, we will find out whether or not uh, that surface is there or leads to uh, uh, questions from the Judiciary Committee going forward. So that's uh, basically a summary of uh, what
1: happened in New York and nationally on the House side. So, Rose, the the statewide candidates for the Democrats did quite well. Uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, elected to the third term, as his father had been. Uh, Two other Democrats elected. Why don't you tell us uh, what happened in the statewide races? Uh, Were there any surprises there in terms of margins or or how the votes played out? And more importantly, what do you think it means in terms of an Albany agenda uh, and perhaps national aspirations for Andrew Cuomo?
3: Yeah, so thanks, Ken. Like you said, uh, Andrew Cuomo was elected to his third term, um, and then we also saw um, Attorney General-elect now, uh, Letitia Tish-James, a current city's public advocate, elected, um, and then Comptroller Napoli re-elected. All of these statewide races, uh, the candidates saw that they received at least 60% of the vote. So it wasn't really tight for any of these candidates, and I believe that Cuomo actually won by a larger margin this time than he did in the last election. So now the question really, especially for Cuomo comes comes to play, is, so what does he do next, right? He said during his debate uh, with his Republican challenger, Molinaro, that he wasn't gonna run, that he planned to serve for the full four years of his term if he got elected. He wouldn't be the first person to change his mind after making that kind of a commitment. Um, and there are rumors rampant that he may uh, throw his hat in the ring uh, in the presidential <coughs> election. Uh, increasingly though, over the past 24 hours, I've seen many rumors circulating about Cuomo having ambitions to seek a fourth term. Um, would be something his father hadn't achieved, something that might be of interest to him. I think it sort of remains to be seen. His agenda and his platform has uh, been uh, characterized or criticized for being somewhat light in his campaign for his third term. And so I think it'll be interesting to see what legislatively he seeks to have done. A lot of that, I think, will be impacted by uh, the new democratically controlled state Senate, right? So we saw eight seats, or as many as eight seats, flip from Republican to Democrat. There's still a few races where there are. Votes being tallied up. Um, and since no Democratic incumbents lost, this would expand the State Senate Dem Conference to 40 members of the State Senate 63. And that includes him Felder, who is caucus traditionally with the Republicans, so we'll see what happens there. Um, and then on the assembly side, it's just worth noting that it'll continue to maintain Democratic majority However, the one sort of small piece of silver lining for Republicans in yesterday's election is that we did see as many as three Democratic incumbents on the assembly side lose to Republican challengers. So that's maybe one piece of the red tide in the overwhelming blue wave of yesterday's election. Um, What this means for Cuomo's relationship with the the Senate, um, I think, remains to be seen. We have Andrea Stewart-Cousins expected to become the first female majority leader of the Senate. I think over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see some intense jockeying among the Democratic uh, Senate members for leadership positions and committee chairmanships. Um, already, we're seeing people start to try and lay out what they see as the agenda for the next year for the for the Senate under its new leadership. And so, um, people are really looking to distinguish themselves, including the members uh, that the people that defeated the members of the IDC, right? So these are the really the progressive challengers that came in and um, and beat out the the incumbents who had previously.
1: IDC were the Democrats who had caucused with the Republicans and then got defeated in the the primaries. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Katie, what do you think this means for the business climate in New York? What does it mean for real estate in particular? There's some big things coming up next year. How do you think it shakes out for corporate New York?
0: Well, I think historically the Republican Senate has been seen as sort of the backstop to protect the interests of the business community, um, and in particular the real estate community, Um, And so I don't think that that certainly isn't going to be in place anymore. And I think that a lot of the last-minute election spending by the business and real estate community to Democrats really indicates that they realized that that was um, on the horizon and they were making sure that they had relationships on both sides of the aisle. Um, I think it's interesting that today, uh, Speaker Hasty from the Assembly released his legislative agenda. And among the things that he included are some things that had perennially passed the Assembly but had been um, stopped short in the Senate, including changes to the rent laws, so the ERSTAT law, which prevents the city from really um, passing laws that govern its rent regulations. Um, There are suggestions that they may look at um, vacancy decontrol or other sort of rent regulations because there's certainly a, a large consensus among his members and many here in the city in the Democratic Party that um, these rent laws need to be strengthened and tightened to preserve affordable housing and and to protect low and middle income tenants. Um, I think what we may see also is a change to the election laws. So the LLC loophole, which has been mentioned many times, is another item that appears on Speaker Hastie's agenda. That's been a vehicle for the business community to participate actively in political giving, certainly. Um, There's talk of maybe getting rid of that um, that loophole, just to, for people who don't know, allows individual LLCs to give uniquely, um, even if they're controlled by the same entities, and so it's it really empowered certain um, business interests to to participate very robustly in uh, campaign spending.
1: Is this going to make it harder for Andrew Cuomo rather than easier? Um, he was knocked from the left for uh, the Clinton phrase triangulation of sort of playing with the um, uh, Republicans but it also meant that both houses could pass legislation that they knew wasn't going to go anywhere. Now uh, they don't have the excuse. And do you think that Cuomo is going to get uh, boxed into supporting some things that wouldn't really have been vetted, or do you think that that fervor to pass the one-house bills in both houses um, is actually going to get accomplished?
0: I think it's going to make it very difficult for the governor. I mean, the governor um, frequently speaks about being pro- Pro-growth. I think the announcement just earlier this week about Amazon selecting two headquarters in Long Island City and Queens is one of the places they've identified. The governor immediately was on board saying he's going to pull out every stop he can, but it didn't take long for progressive activists in the city to start saying, oh, wait a minute, not so fast. Are you really giving them tax breaks? What about all the millionaires who are going to live here and displace our local residents? I think the governor's going to find himself in the position frequently where he's up against that, and it's going to be very hard to balance those competing interests. Yeah, and you
3: even heard today, Cuomo gave a, you know, a sort of post-election uh, interview recap, and in it he was urging a restraint amongst the progressives on the Senate that were elected, that, you know, citing that swinging too far left too quickly could, you know, actually have a negative effect on their long-term objectives. And so mm-hmm. I think we're just going to see him try and temper that, how successfully he'll, he'll be able to do that, I think. I think
2: one of the issues that uh he is most concerned about has been the progressives call for a millionaires tax mm-hmm. and um if uh if the governor harbors any uh, national ambitions um a millionaires tax and and um future ambition do not go in, together in the same sentence so I think he will try to tamp that down as you suggested, Rose, the way he is Absolutely. doing that today.
1: One other position which I think may be a bellwether of how progressives deal with the responsibility of governing is our new attorney general, Tish James. Mm-hmm. So she was originally elected to the city council on the working families party line. Um she made common cause with um with the governor uh in the in the election campaign. She will be the first uh, elected woman Uh, the first elected African-American woman attorney general and one of uh, only a handful of statewide uh, uh, African-Americans who have won elections. She is dealing with um, the responsibilities of an office that has the ability to move markets, that has tremendous uh, power. Stuart, you have served on transition committees for attorney generals. I know that you have talked with Tish James about her own, uh, plans for the office. Uh, do you think she's going to be an ideologue, a professional, uh, more moderate, uh, feeling empowered to carry out what her heart tells her? Uh, what kind of an attorney general do you think Tisha's going to be? Well,
2: um, hopefully she will be a very good one. Uh, and that means that uh, she could not be uh, simply an ideologue. Uh, uh, the problem that that ideologues have In positions like attorney general is that eventually they have to go to court and the court may not uh, view things through an ideological uh, uh, prism but uh, rather through the law so what she has to do is to uh, encourage the most professional uh, office that she can uh, with truly superior lawyers Uh, That was the ingredient of success for Elliot Spitzer. It was for Andrew Cuomo. It was for uh, Eric Schneiderman. And it will be for her, particularly because uh, she is young. Uh, We know that she's ambitious. And uh, if she wants to move to a future office, such as Governor, which which AG has proven to be a very good platform for, uh, the key to doing that is to be a great, Attorney General. And she's, al- she's
1: already signaled that she's conscious of that. Uh, she had told us before the election that she planned to keep Barbara Underwood, mm-hmm. the very well-regarded yeah. um, uh, acting Attorney General, um, who had been the Solicitor General and is going back to that uh, back to that position. She's now got to figure out what to do with the bureau chiefs and and all of the others that uh, enforce right. the policy. For which is what the office.
2: transition period uh, will be for. Uh, fortunately. Uh, this will be an easy transition uh, when Elliot Spitzer came in uh, a uh would not meet with him wouldn't even vacate his office until the day before uh, uh, the, the term started and um, and did no cooperation um, here you have cooperation with the acting Attorney General Barbara Underwood so this will be a much uh, smoother transition than We had before Um, I'd like to make another point that um, just James is vacating uh, the public advocate spot in New York and uh, that is um, uh, going to uh, already is uh, is causing a a frenzy of, uh, of interest among an enormous number of elected officials who think that they should become the next public advocate and that election will be held uh in the first quarter of uh 2019 uh it is um it is going to be a free for all and interestingly for a job that seemed to have um no uh, no duties no no particular uh, prescription of, of 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 what they could do and no accountability uh the last uh, public advocate became the mayor of New York, the current one become the attorney general of New York, and people are seeing this as uh, a great opportunity to have a stepping stone without accountability, and we'll see what happens with with those races, but a lot of names are going into the pot on that.
1: And that race is going to be done under a new uh, amendments to the campaign finance law in New York. We have public financing, uh, a referendum put on the ballot by the mayor has lowered the maximum contribution limit by about half, just a couple of thousand dollars, increased the match to eight to one uh, as a way of trying to encourage people to participate. That had widespread uh, support, and it'll be available to the candidates for uh, public advocate comes uh, comes the, uh, the election in the spring. Um, there were two other referendums on the ballot. One was to create a civic engagement uh, commission, which was largely panned as an effort to create a patronage uh, office for uh, de Blasio, since we already had a Voter Assistance Commission. Um, And the other one was a referendum that would impose uh, term limits, stagger terms on community board members. These are the volunteers that participate in land use and budgeting and and other things. Also widely opposed by uh, Gail Brewer, the borough president of Manhattan, Scott Stringer, former borough president of Manhattan, and others, both of those opposed by the New York Times, uh, both of them received virtually no coverage in any of the uh, mainstream media, and both of them passed, uh, maybe demonstrating that Bill de Blasio is uh, more persuasive than the New York Times. Uh, that would certainly be, uh, be quite different. Well,
0: there was a significant campaign. I mean, they spent, I think, a million dollars in public money supporting it, and I think there's a history of ballot proposals generally being, pro- I mean, when they're on the ballot, they usually get approved.
2: But well, plus they have the ability to frame the issue that's on the ballot, and so it sounds good. Right. When you're reading it there, and you know nothing about it, right. and it just seems like they wouldn't have put it there unless they wanted to do a yes. Right, right, right.
0: I mean, it's really unfortunate that these were crafted during the summer. The participation rate was incredibly low, um, but, but there they are.
1: I want to turn to the dynamic for a moment between the mayor and the governor. So, these two frenemies, uh, <laughs> politics makes strange be- bedfellows. Uh, Bill de Blasio, at one point in his career, worked for Andrew Cuomo uh, when Cuomo was the Secretary of HUD. Uh, they got off uh, to a really bad start almost from the day that De Blasio came into office, one uh, attacking the uh, allowing people to to attack Bloomberg from the uh, the stage of the podium, being somewhat disrespectful to I think to the uh, to the Clintons. But more substantively, In the first quarter of de Blasio's term, they clashed over charter schools, they they clashed over the millionaire's tasks, and it seems that Cuomo has gone out of his way for the last couple of years to take shots at de Blasio, although the business of government continues to get get taken care of. So now we have a situation, Bill de Blasio is term limited, Mm -hmm. Um, there's nothing anybody can do to him in terms of his operations of the government, but there's probably no names that he hasn't been called, at least by the New York Post, if not the, uh, the Daily News. Uh, Cuomo has to be concerned about his progressive base and the con- questions about his sincerity uh, on his shift towards uh, economic issues, minimum wage, and uh, uh, gay marriage and and, uh, and the like. So, do we have any any predictions at this point? Um, is freedom just another? name for nothing left to lose and these guys are going to be (laughs) slugging it out with each other for the next uh, couple of years? Or do you think the fact that they don't have to politically posture with each other anymore is actually going to be more productive? Rose, what do you think?
3: No, I think we continue to slug it out. I think that it escalates in some ways as well, right? I mean, you can't forget that Blasio's, like, you know, rumored behind-the-scenes support for Cynthia, although he didn't formally endorse her. I think that that continues to put some salt in the wound. And you saw with the Amazon rumor that Amazon announcement coming out, the mayor was quick to blast the governor for offering tax subsidies and other things to incentivize Amazon for coming over. I mean, I think that at the
1: same time that they had announced a couple of weeks ago that the city would spend 180 million dollars right. in Long Island City for infrastructure <laughs> Well, Ken, don't let the fact get in the way of the policy, you know
3: I mean so I I mean I think we'll continue to see plenty of opportunities for them to butt up against each other I think the mayor will find lots of Places where he's going to back the more progressive, controlled assembly in the Senate, right, and push the governor to try to mm-hmm. make him put in right. an even more uncomfortable position at the back. Yeah, a I think, I think.
0: yeah and, and a lot of people who have been the mayor's allies, even if they haven't had the biggest successes, but they're there with him in the progressive camp, I think will be empowered by the fact mm-hmm. that the Senate is now Democratic, and not only Democratic, but there's no IDC any longer, and so... Their their allies are there, and it will make life harder. It will strengthen, I think, the mayor's position in some cases. If
2: uh, there's a, I'll a yeah, I, I, I think there's one other place where they might clash, yeah. and that's a place called Iowa.
3: Right. So
1: that remains <laughs> to be seen. Right. Well, <laughs> I was going to ask, if there is a perception that Andrew Cuomo might be a candidate for president, that Kirsten mm-hmm. uh, Gillibrand might be a candidate for president, Bill de Blasio, when he lays awake at night, might think that he's a candidate <laughs> for president, Chuck Schumer... Minority leader, not majority leader of the Senate. What do you think the dynamic is between New Yorker Donald Trump and his home state when it comes to things like infrastructure projects, gateway, uh, financial regulations and the things? Do you think they're going to be looking to kneecap potential challengers to Trump? Or do you think that they will try and find common ground on things that they can that actually need to get done? I'm, I know. It's Donald uh, I, Trump. Yeah. The Trump.
0: A, I mean, who even thinks of him as a New Yorker? Yeah, <laughs> right? I, I would say, I,
2: I would say uh, Trump has, has already come out and said, besides hiring um, the attorney general, uh, and I want to make another comment about that in a second, um, he has come out and said, uh, would love to work with the Democrats, but they better not start subpoenaing me. So. I think that um, you'll probably have a conversation with uh, Nancy Pelosi, see if they can work together. If they can, uh, that's fine, and he can trade his uh, his uh, wall for Gateway. And if not, then it'll be a, uh, a foil. The Democratic Congress will be a foil for Trump, and he will have someone that he can uh, be the victim of which appeals to his base, Mm -hmm. and so I I think it remains to be seen, but I think it's going to play out uh, fairly soon in the new Congress. Um, I should say that uh, with the firing of Sessions, uh, two people become all the more important to New Yorkers, and that is uh, Jerry Nadler, who if there were uh, impeachment or other Immigration like that mm-hmm. uh, immigration uh, you have uh, one of the smartest people and politically astute people in Congress to um, uh, Be in that position, and I think we're all fortunate that he is the person in that position um, and you have um, Tish James because uh, it really was falling to uh, Eric Schneiderman and then Barbara Underwood and now Tish James to be the backstop to Mueller. Should Mueller get
1: kneecapped along the way, mm-hmm. and that's a possibility now. So just just as Nancy Pelosi is getting credit for the House win, um, from a local politics point of view, do you think people are going to blame Chuck Schumer for the Democrats doing uh, more poorly in the Senate races than had been expected, Katie?
0: I've heard some of that uh just watching some news shows. I've de- nobody wants to come out and say it, but there are subtle hints that he could have been stronger, he could have campaigned more, he could have been out there messaging in a more effective way. I've definitely heard that rumbling beginning, so I wouldn't be surprised to hear that get louder. All
1: right, so we're not going to be uh able to take questions today, but I would encourage you to uh, email questions to any of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, email addresses on the website. Many of you uh, have them. We'll be happy to uh, pick up the conversation with you individually. But what I'd like to do before we break is ask uh, uh, each of us, take uh, just one minute, if there's one takeaway message that you think is important uh, for people to understand about what happened in New York yesterday, what would that be?
2: Stuart? Well, um, blue wave crashed in New York. Uh, uh, New York has, um, uh, the Republicans are in pretty much in disarray uh but i i in my 1 minute or half a minute left i just want to say who i think the big loser is and that's the pundits and the pollsters and they really uh failed to uh grasp uh, so many races um and had everyone tantalized uh by all the possibilities that some people left uh, some democrats left last night uh disappointed even though they woke up this morning feeling perhaps a little bit better. But like the weathermen, the pollsters and pundits will be back uh, next time, and they'll do the same thing again. Katie?
0: Um, I was thinking sort of the sort of the other side of the coin of what Stuart just said, which is that um, I think it is so hard now in, in our modern age to evaluate how people will vote, who will turn out, and I think that... Um, especially for the Democrats, and maybe more on a national level than a local level, we need to figure out a strategy for, um, you know, really understanding the voters, Mm -hmm. understanding what they're looking for, and understanding what motivates them. It seems clear to me that at the national level, what motivates people, unfortunately, seems to be fear. Um, And I sort of hope that there will be a message that appears to people that are angels. You know, it seems to work sometimes locally, but I think that's a really interesting dilemma and i think there are two years to figure that out before the next big cycle
1: yeah rose
3: again sort of piggybacking off that point i think the big takeaway was the incredible voter turnout that we mm-hmm. saw in new york City and across the state really um in yesterday's election i haven't seen the exact tallies come in but anecdotally we've heard about you know turnout that rivals what we see in presidential elections and so what we're seeing here is a really motivated voting population. Lots of calls for voting registration uh reforms make it easier uh, to increase participation even further in New York. And so I think it's more important than ever that the people who are seeking to represent the, the districts in the state understand the constituencies and what motivates them to get to the polls because people are obviously paying attention and active. So, um I think that's the big takeaway. We've seen civic engagement and voter participation in a way we haven't seen recently. I think that's encouraging.
1: I think that Andrew Cuomo picked up on the shift within the Democratic Party uh, to the left that uh, Bernie Sanders represented in uh, 2016. Um, uh, his position, he staked out positions on uh, minimum wage uh, as one example, uh, uh, health care mm-hmm. as another example. Um, and what we saw across the country in the referendums that were on the ballot, it wasn't just that Republicans seemed to have lost uh, the suburbs and perhaps uh, uh, permanently, uh, if they can't figure out a way to get college-educated suburban white women uh, back to the fold, but we also saw referendums passing for the minimum wage in several places, raising taxes in certain places, expanding uh, Medicaid in certain places, uh, marijuana, which I think cuts across some to some extent, Uh, Because of the libertarian thing Uh, in Georgia, a million felons being Mm -hmm. restored their right to vote, principally a democratic initiative with some evangelical thing. But Andrew Cuomo spotted that he could run to the left um, and get elected in a state that had actually a history of of electing moderates. And so we'll see as um, uh, the next few years unfold whether or not, once again, New York is leading the way. Well, on behalf of Cousin Public Strategies, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks to uh, Katie Schwab, Rose Chris Stuart, schorenstein and we look forward to uh, keeping up this uh, conversation about uh, the future of New York. All right, thanks.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your lines.